Comedy Forecast is the official podcast of All Weather Tires. All Weather Tires, obviously invented by someone frustrated that their tires only worked on partly sunny days. All Weather Tires. The Comedy Forecast Network. Let's dog-ear this for now. This is Comedy Forecast, episode 577, a conversation with Amy J. Murphy. Bringing you the funny since 2005, it's the Comedy Forecast Comedy Podcast, powered by its patrons. For as little as a dollar, you can help support the show and get episodes before everyone else. To find out more, just search for Comedy Forecast, all one word with the number four, on Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Or go to ComedyForecast.com and click on the Patreon link on the page. Thank you. Oh, hi. Clinton here. Welcome to or welcome back to Comedy Forecast. And speaking of back, we're back from Dragon Con 2019 in Atlanta, which is always a fun time. But hectic. And fun. Uh, It's a hectic fun time. And it takes a while to unpack the bags and put away so many little bottles of shampoo. No, seriously, they kept putting new bottles in the room every day. It was crazy! Anyway, in addition to everything else going on, we once again co-hosted the Technorama Comedy Forecast and Friends Live from DragonCon event. Over the next two episodes, I'll be presenting a few highlights from the show. In this episode, I get the chance to once again interview author and friend of the show, Amy J. Murphy. An audio version of one of her books is just out now on audible.com. We talk about that, her Allies and Enemies series in general, the writing process, and then play a game of I think you're confused. Don't worry, it all makes sense. So, let's hop in the time machine and head back to Atlanta over Labor Day weekend and visit the Technorama Comedy Forecast and Friends live show there in the digital media track. All right, next up, we have a couple of guests this evening, and my first guest is no stranger to many of you here. Amy Murphy and her husband, Barry, are here often at the live shows. Hey, Barry. (laughs) And Amy is the author of a number of works, most notably the Allies and Enemies series, which has been twice nominated for a Dragon Award in military science fiction here at DragonCon. This series has also been a finalist in the Kindle Book Awards. And book five of the series is now out with book six on the way, as well as the audiobook version of book two. So please welcome to the stage, Amy J. Murphy. Hello, hello, hello. Long time no see. Hello. So the last time I interviewed you on the show was back in 2016, and at that time you had your first three books out, and uh, now you're on book six of your trilogy. So I, I wanted to ask you, you know, how much credit do I get for mentioning that you probably would do more than three books? Oh, I'll give you all the credit for that. <laughs> <Okay>. Absolutely. <laughs> do you want to talk a bit about what Allies and Enemies is? In the writing business, you got this thing called the elevator pitch, and the way I um, preface it is, uh, Farscape 
that meets Black Hawk Down. And then always that leads into a conversation is, what's Farscape? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is an audience that can appreciate that, you know? So it has a a very strong military science fiction element, but uh, at its heart is a a space opera story that really has to do with um, character relationships and how they change over time. And um, just being included in military science fiction, that is really a, a great place to be. One of those things for science fiction is to apply labels to your genre or your subgenre. It just kind of makes that shorthand work. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's um, got a lot of that ensemble kind of character cast to it. There are various storylines, and it's really expanded since the first book in the series, which basically told the two different stories and how they come together for two different main characters. One, a soldier, a female soldier that's basically born and bred to be a soldier, and another one who is um, a scientist who ends up in a world that she never was meant to be part of and making some revelations about her background that she was never supposed to find out. And they come into um, the end meeting up with each other and having some really negative consequences that filter through um, for the rest of the series. Uh, so there's a time jump um, for most of the part when you get to the fourth, fifth, and sixth book in the trilogy <laughs> uh, that is, is still dealing with uh, ramifications down the road. At this point, these, these books are self-published, but when you get to the end of book four or book five, do you feel you have to, for the audience, wrap things up and then you just have an idea in the back of your head? Are you putting hooks in the story? Because as you're writing these out, you could just at any point go, I think I'm done. And do you have feel like everyone has to have a satisfying ending unto itself? I guess the short answer is yes. Um, there are people that write in series format, which means that you could pick it up and be only modestly confused if you accidentally pick up book two or, or book three and you'll fill in the blanks later because the exposition is built in. Well, the, the way my uh, series is created is, or if you want to think of it, it's more like a 600,000 word novel that ends up having to be in these various books. And there, there is some amount of exposition at the beginning to kind of catch everybody up, but I'm writing to an audience that's kind of already invested in the storyline. Right, we, we uh, had a discussion at the end of a, a panel earlier today that was about Discovery, and someone was really upset that every episode of Discovery was not a story unto itself. And I said, well, that's a changing landscape that I think now television has changed to. It's kind of a bingeable thing, and you just slide from one thing into the next thing. I think that's precisely, you elegantly put what I was trying to say is that that is the model now, especially um, people that, my cohorts in self-publishing, the model is the binge model. I know some people that can write a book in a month or less than a month and they just churn them out and that is the model for entertainment uh, for consumer, the consumer end of entertainment. Everyone is used to that binge model. And so that's the way your worlds are created. So if you look at traditional publishing, you're going to have a year, two years between when the book 
and the next book in the series is going to come out, and that person as your reader has moved on, and you kind of have to refresh their memory, and you have to make it so that someone can get introduced to your series if they accidentally pick up book two. So the model for my writing is more of that binge scenario. And you know, these are fairly long books, and we, we've had discussions about the fact that both of us have issues with being easily distractible. Uh, where we have to find ways to get ourselves to sit down and actually write. And when I'm writing, say, podcast a day, I have to turn around 20 to 30 episodes of something, get the scripts finished, get it recorded, and get it out on a daily basis for the month of, of April. And if people follow me on Twitter or, or Instagram or any place, they'll see me at Dunkin' Donuts all the time. And if you're wondering what that's about, my ADD, which is actual ADD, is that by going to Dunkin' Donuts, I'm not distracted that I can't just get up and do anything I want to do. I'm now locked into, I'm sitting in a place and all that's in front of me is my laptop to write. Now, you have similar problems, but you deal with them in a slightly different way by a, a technique that, that's been developed. Right, I, I was diagnosed with ADHD very late in life. Um, for me, it was kind of an aha moment because it explains a lot about my childhood and about how things went for me in school. And at, you know, at this point in my life, I've already had developed these uh, coping mechanisms, uh, all my shorthand for things. It's why I do things a certain way. It's like, you know, you're, you have this, that's the way you buy groceries, that's the way you organize your morning because you know otherwise you're going to go off the rails and get distracted by something. Women are typically um, diagnosed with ADHD a lot later because generally the stereotype is for younger boys because everyone thinks of the hyperactivity part, the physical part of it. Um, so for women, it is has to do more that um, quote unquote daydreamer quality. It's the the inattentiveness of, of it. Um, so one of the techniques I have realized for writing uh, has to do with uh, it's called the Pomodoro technique, and I learned of it from a YouTuber. She uh, does a YouTube called How to ADHD. She is absolutely adorable. I cannot remember the gal's name. Um, I'm sure it's an easy thing to Google, but she talked about one of those many techniques about organizing your time. And the reason it is called the Pomodoro technique is because it's like Italian for tomato. And they're just talking about this little kitchen timer. It was a plastic kitchen timer. It looks like a tomato. And you give yourself X amount of time, your, that is your required butt-in-chair time to work on the project at hand. When the timer goes off, you get five minutes to go run around and, you know, get the wiggles out or however you want to call it or do the thing that's distracting to you. And then after that timer goes off again, that brief break, you go back to the butt-in-chair time. And they call them a Pomodoro if you do five in a row or four in a row or however it works for you. And it's customizable. It's inexpensive because everybody has some form of a timer and it what works and you can have a gold for your day I want to do four or five Pomodoros that day and it helps you with your productivity and some days you'll have horrible days you only get one done or two done or maybe you're, you realize that your attention span can only be 17 minutes or instead of 23 minutes it um, and it has been a useful tool and that and I call this I use this thing called a parking lot method if I have while I'm writing something another idea that pops into place and it's it's that urge to jump out of what I'm doing, go to the next thing. I have an index card 
and it's a parking lot and I write down on the parking lot what that idea is so I remember it and it has a place but then I can go back to the task at hand. I feel like it's more of a common problem uh, than a lot of people realize and there, I know there are people that are probably listening that go oh that yes I have that problem when I'm trying to work on project whether it's writing or something else just research it's okay and you different techniques are going to work differently for different people. So before we move on to the second part of our interview, I want to make sure we get in the plug. So how can they find out about the allies and enemy and and, 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 and Whoa. That'd be a different story altogether. That's an entirely different but, story. Yes. Sorry. Yet um, still part of but, military science fiction. But no. not yes, but not only that, you also have other things coming up. So where can they find out about everything that you're working on? All right. Well, um I have I have a website, it's www.amygmurphy.com. But my books, my series are wide, as we say in the lingo. So not only on, on uh, the big monster Amazon, it's on Barnes and Nobles, Kobo. Google Play, Smashwords, iTunes, anyway, everywhere. So even if you go to my website, you can find where all, all of them are located. The first book in the series, Allies and Enemies Fallen, which is book one, is free. It's what we call perma-free. So any of those in, those places online, you can find it and download it. And if you like it, it is your gateway drug into the series. I also have a, a free novelette that's available from visiting my website that's also based in the universe. I am also going to be writing nonfiction about the um, practice of trying to be a creative writer with ADHD and the tools and techniques available to you as a writer. Excellent, excellent. Well, it's been great talking to you, Amy, but before you leave, I'm going to rip off a segment from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I'm allowed because I've been podcasting longer than they have. That's how it works. And this segment I'm going to be called, I Think You're Confused. Because you write military science fiction, so I think it would be great to ask you a few questions about a classic civilian science fiction masterpiece. Of course, I'm speaking about Armageddon. So if you get two of the three questions correct, you will win the lovely prize. Your own VHS copy of Die Hard 2. So there you go. Here is your first question. In the movie, of course, Steve Buscemi plays the iconic role of Rockhound. Which of these is a true statement? A, Buscemi claims that the role was pitched to him as a heroic geologist. He says that after he was cast as Rockhound, all those sleazy characteristics were written into the script. Or was it B, when asked why he did the film, Buscemi said, I wanted a bigger house. Or was it C, Rockhound's line about sitting on a million pounds of fuel in a rocket built by the lowest bidder is a variant on an actual radio transmission by Mercury astronaut Alan Shepard just prior to liftoff? A, B, or C? I know which one I want to be true, so I guess I'll go with C, because it's very clever. Well, you are correct in a way because all three of them are correct. Yay! Question number two. It's hard to imagine Armageddon without its signature song, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Of course, we all know that song. It's written by legendary hit writer Diane Warren, and the song was recorded by Aerosmith, of course. But Steven Tyler and the gang were not the producer's first choice to sing the song. Who among these was asked to record I Don't Want to Miss a Thing before Aerosmith got the gig? Was it A, the unsinkable Canadian Celine Dion? Was it B, Mr. Nice Guy himself, Alice Cooper? Or was it C, boy band sensation, O-Town? 
You're trying to picture all these people singing it, aren't you? Right. And I'm like, I'm like, what's what's an O town? I don't know what that is. I'm gonna Celine Dion. You are correct. And all three of them have recorded songs written by Diane Warren, but yes, it was Celine Dion was going to sing that song originally. And the final question. At one point in the film, Harry Stamper, played by Bruce Willis, of course, refers to Dr. Ronald Quincy as Mr. Wizard. Why would this statement ultimately prove to be prophetic? Was it because A, in Glass, M. Night Shyamalan named Sarah Paulson's character, who works with Bruce Willis's David Dunn, Dr. Quincy? Was it B, Dr. Quincy was played by Jason Isaacs, who would go on to play Lucius Malfoy in the Harry Potter films? Or was it C, Mr. Wizard would become the code name for NASA's near-Earth asteroid detection system? Oh, C. No, I'm sorry, it's B, it was Jason Isaacs. I had to I had to watch the movie to make sure it's indeed true. It's yes, it's a young Jason Isaac. So, Captain Lorca was involved with Armageddon. But that is two out of three. And here is your copy oh of Die Hard Two. Amy Murphy. Thank you. I don't own a VCR. Thank you. Thank you. Remember, you can find out all about Amy's writings and audiobooks over at amyjmurphy.com. I'll also have a link to that over in the show notes for this episode, as well as a link to the YouTube channel Amy mentioned. In the next episode, we'll be back at DragonCon to hear from Abby Fallmacher. I'll talk to you then. My goodness, look at the time. Oh, is it that time already, Sir Patrick? Well... If you want to get in touch with the show, send an email to podcast at comedyforecast.com or call the super secret phone line at area code 360-515-0004. Let's wrap this up, shall we? Right. Okay. Well, you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just search for Comedy Forecast, all one word with the number four. And a special thank you to all of our Patreon patrons. As always, this is Sir Patrick Stewart. And I'm Clinton. Saying, that's, that's it. it. We're, We're done, 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 done. 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 Bye-bye. Bye-bye.